Hello, on-demand audio passengers. This is your captain speaking. We'd like to welcome you to Season 7 of the AJ Presents The Greater Good Podcast. On this trip, as always, AJ will provide you his unquestioned wisdom in all things food, pop culture, and nostalgia. Please lock your tray in the upright position after you've written those iTunes reviews and prepare for takeoff, because everyone gets an opinion, AJ's is just the only one that's right. It's October and we're getting spooktacular. No, I'm not in the spooky season. It is in fact not October and it is in fact not spooky season as you've likely surmised. This was intended to be the potential Halloween episode. We went with a different one for Halloween. Still a great episode. Still fits the bill for our love fest because myself and Brian are unapologetic, passionate lovers of all things Ghostbusters, specifically Ghostbusters 2. So let's just pretend for a second that uh, you didn't hear that first part. But it's a love fest nonetheless. Per se, but there is one thing I'm into if you've listened to 30 seconds of this show. It's not pro wrestling and it's not Jurassic Park we're talking about. We're talking about my third mistress. That's right, Ghostbusters 2, specifically. Some would debate the greatest sequel of all time. Now, while my succubus, treacherous, skullduggery ridden co host is not present at the given time, thank God you can hear the anxiety out of my voice, I am joined by a colleague. A cohort, a co-conspirator, some would call him. A man I think a lot of mystery guests and Ghostbusters enthusiasts. Tell the world of on-demand audio who you are and what the F you do. Uh, well, uh, my name is Brian Hawks, uh, most notably probably from AML Wrestling in WrestleCade, uh, but I'm actually in the car business also. So, But a uh, huge, huge Ghostbusters fan as well. So, Hey, my friend, we all wear many hats. We all wear many hats, so we're going to dive right in. Now, are you under the ideal that Ghostbusters 2 is better than Ghostbusters 1? I would say equal. Equal? Um, I, can, I can respect that. Uh, a lot of people do. A lot of, like, hardcore fans say that the first one is better. But uh, it's still a really, really... It's probably you know, what you said about being the best sequel ever. That's probably dead on, because it's hard to top the original, but that was a phenomenal movie. Because you can just dive right in. Like, there's, like... There's, there's no, like, trudging through the mud. Like, you can just jump in feet first and just start loving the movie right away with no hesitation. And uh, that kind of leads me to my first point I'd like to discuss about Ghostbusters 2. There's a theme at play that just it's just mind-boggling. They are seemingly having to, for those of you who don't know, Ghostbusters is about four parano- paranormal, what, uh, scientists, are they? Investigators and eliminators. Yes. Yes, four uh, ghost hunters, as we would call them now. They would have a show on A&E at some point, if this were modern times. <laughs> but in the 80s, these were four men inter- interested in paranormal activity, and they find a way to snare and trap ghosts. And as you, and if you've been living under a rock the last 30 years, they're paid to do so by seemingly freelance work in the city of New York. So after, in the first movie, saving the biggest city in the continental United States, well, I guess it's a double negative. In the United States of America, they fought off 
a 20-story high marshmallow man in Times Square. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a lot of eyeballs on anything. So, Brian, I ask you this. As, as the world seemingly watched them fight off a 20-foot-tall paranormal marshmallow man surrounded by other ghosts in the city, why is it in the second movie we're seemingly have to convince everyone, including the mayor and the judge, the existence of ghosts? Why don't they believe them in the second movie? It's almost like they they blamed them for it happening because even if you remember, they said they got stiffed on the bill. So they didn't get paid for doing saving the world, basically. A 20-foot marshmallow man or 20-story marshmallow man tries to kill New York City and... You don't pay anybody. I mean, that sounds like New York City. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you just put some human feces on the sidewalk, you pretty much nailed <laughs> New, York, <laughs> New York City. That courtroom scene when the judge is just like, before we get started, I will not hear of any nonsense about phantasm, ghouls, or ghosts, because they do not exist. And that's where my mouth was just on the ground. Like, where has this guy been the last five years? Like, right. Yeah, maybe you think it's their fault, but to say they don't exist, what what rock have you been living under? Right, and you, you missed, and it was only like five years ago. It wasn't like no, it was still his era because he's old. Yeah, he would have vivid memory of it. Yeah, well, you were a fully grown adult with access to TV, newspapers, and radio, while the Marshmallow Man was storming through the city, and you think this is just all a bunch of nonsense. Like if I if I'm the Ghostbusters in that in that courtroom, I am going to get thrown out. Like you got to be fucking kidding me! What? What do you mean there's no ghost? <laughs> I'm going to make a scene in the courtroom. Like, like, look, I'm here to I'm here to defend myself in a court of law, but you're not going to tell me that no one in this courtroom didn't see that fucking marshmallow man. Is this a joke? What are we doing? <laughs> right. and, and may I shout out my man Lewis Tully, uh, accountant turned lawyer on the fly, I guess. <laughs> they. <laughs> He went to law school. He just never practiced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He said he did like probate and like bankruptcy uh, leads. He was not a criminal right. lawyer. So you would think four men with, I would assume if they are scientists and doctors, master's degrees would at the very least have access to a public defender who is licensed to practice <laughs> criminal law. Why are they hiring their accountant to essentially defend them in court? You got to keep the character going, man. You hey, reintroduce. Hey, K. Hey, K. Fay. Absolutely, absolutely. I will go with it. But yeah, that was that was a very interesting note. Shout out Rick Moranis, who went on to absolutely crush it. Shout out, honey, I shrunk the kids. Shout out, honey, I shrunk the kids again with the when they're little and little giants, where he's being bullied by his big brother Al Bundy. Some really great stuff. Follow Ghostbusters too. And just a great human being. I mean, he quit his job just to take care of his kids, too. That, so. I thought it was his wife. His wife? Well, maybe it's either way. He's a good dude. I think she died. I think that was the reason. Is she died and he had to, like, take care of his kids. So he just completely quit the business just to, you know, take care of his kids. Ladies he won't even do movies now. Like, they're grown and they've asked him to do, like, the afterlife. And he said no. Ladies and gentlemen, this pod got real dark real quick. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Well, Rick Moranis, we hope you're well. We hope whatever you got going on, you figured it out. Your contributions as Lewis Tully did not fall on deaf ears, ladies and gentlemen. No, no, sure did not. So we're going to transition to another, another pivotal moment. Now, there's an evil painting in the New York Museum of Fine Art that has been possessed by an evil ghoul, Vigo the Carpathian. Shout out, Vigo. I await the words of 
scourge of Carpathia. Oh, you've told me this, the scourge. The sorrow of Moldavia. Sorrows, I've heard all of this, yes. Command you. Command me, Lord. And his objective is to take the body of a human, preferably baby host. He selects Miss Sigourney Weaver, who may we say, to this day, avatar or non-avatar form, to be 800 years old, she looks like a million bucks and looks better than I do. <laughs> right. She, she still to this day looks the same. Yeah, she might literally, her and Tom Cruise, I don't know what they're doing in Scientology Church, but they keep people looking pristine and mummified, borderline. <laughs> and I should probably take that back. I don't know if Sigourney Weaver is a Scientologist. God bless her and her skincare. <laughs> She's twice my age and somehow looks younger than me. But I do. Right. Same. So, <laughs> but yeah. But I digress. So they choose Sigourney Weaver's child, baby Oscar. Okay. Yeah, if you want to. You're short. Your belly button sticks out too far, and you're a terrible burden on your poor mother. It was a simple job. What's, what's the meme, Brian? They had one job: Janine, <laughs> Janine the secretary, Louis the accountant, guard. My baby, that's all you gotta do. You don't have to didn't work out. You don't have to put him in a cage. You don't have to lock him in the room. Just make sure no supernatural beings have direct access to my infant child. So, what do they have to explain when Sigourney Weaver returns from being romanced by Bill Murray? And frankly, the the game Bill Murray's laying down, who wouldn't have been romanced? Hey guys, where's my baby? Like, oh, I think the ghost took him. Well, how'd the ghost get to him? Like. Well, I was getting an old-fashioned in the kitchen. He must have snuck in during that. Which, by the way, that was probably one of the most creepiest moments as a child watching that movie. Like, Lewis Tully in ghost form with a baby carriage that reaches his long arm out. Oh. I was like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> yeah, as Lewis has lipstick all over his face and is zipping up his fly, like, Dana, I don't know how she got in here. Like, well, I think you fell asleep <laughs> at your post, buddy. I think you may have been slightly distracted. Thanks, Janine. Don't really know why you went off the reservation so hard here. Ladies and gentlemen, Janine went into business for herself. That's right. <laughs> Good night. I like how you guys are in here like, all right, so now that there's this go- this supernatural being after us, like, you in the mood or what? How are you in the mood? I'm not sleeping at night, let, let alone in the mood. Sigourney Weaver like, literally has to like rush to the hotel like, what do we do? anything right now besides what you're doing she's so upset she goes to see and let's we'll take a quick sidebar how hard is bill murray crushing it if you if for whatever reason you have never seen this movie bill murray is crushing it from the oak from credit to credit he doesn't take a break he doesn't come up for air he does not give you a moment where he is not crushing every single scene from being an impromptu uh, street foreman to a wisecracking doctor to seemingly giving unlimited shit to the mayor's assistant the entire movie. Right. Yeah. No, doesn't he doesn't let up. He doesn't take his foot off the gas. When when Dana slash Sigourney Weaver's like, you know, Peter, none of your old tricks are going to work on me anymore. And he just responds with like, oh, I got, oh, don't worry. I got brand new dirty tricks. Don't you worry about that. I'll take Miss Barrett back to her apartment and check her out. I'll go check out Miss Barrett's apartment. She is all about some Dr. Peter Vankman. May he may he live forever in infamy. Uh, the previous generation's Barney Stinson. Goes, the, goes or the devil dog is here, folks. 
and you know my my dog is actually named Joseph. So it's on brand. It's on brand. <laughs> I love it, Brian. I have to ask you a very important question. How old are you, Brian? I'm 37. I'll be 38 this year. Did you get any of the Ghostbusters toys? Oh, every one of them. Ladies, I'm, I'm 30. I'm 37 now, and I have every single one of the toys from the new movie that just came out. Ladies and every gentlemen. Must be nice. I don't know why my parents would not get on board with this because they love Ghostbusters too. I did not have a single Ghostbusters toy outside of your base four action figures. I didn't have the vehicles. I didn't have the proton pack. Nothing. Also, one thing I didn't have, we went to uh, Universal Studios. Like the only time we went to Disney as a child, like went to Universal Studios, Ghostbusters was popular. They had the the side show or whatever you could go to. And then you like went from the side show into the gift shop and there was a slime blower from Ghostbusters 2. And I was like, I was like, I have to have that. And they're like, oh, they won't fit on the plane. I'm like, like, I'll throw my luggage away. I don't need any clothes anymore. I just need that. (laughs) The one thing I never got from that whole era was the slime blower like toy. I don't even know. Like everybody looks for the blue proton packs, but nobody ever looks for those. (laughs) Shout out Daniel Fields. Everybody knows the kid that had all the cool toys. Daniel Fields on the school bus. He had (laughs) he had the trap where you stepped on it and the little doors open. He had the proton pack. He even had the costume coveralls for Halloween. That's absolutely. I would have sawed off my right arm. First of all, to have not been the Husky kid so I could have fit in the coveralls, that was one problem already, inherently. Just for the proton pack, just for the wheelie trap, I had none of it. Pressure's on, Cassandra Scales. Make it right. Make it right. So did you did you order the uh, the Hasbro HasLab proton pack that's coming out? Uh, is that the crowdfunded one or is that the retail one? No, it's the crowdfunded deal. Um, but it passed the deal. I am a collector of things, and there may or may not be room for said proton pack. Because if I go into Ghostbusters, I will go into full sin mode. Like I am a completist. I can't have one thing. I can't either. I've got it. I've got it. my wife hates it. She's got. I've got everything. Every every Funko Pop <laughs> that came out for this latest movie. Everything. I got. Entertainment Earth, but as soon as they would put something up, I'd add to cart. <laughs> Do you have the Fire Station Funko Pop? Yeah. Oh man. Oh man. Okay, so you're not playing around. You're ser- you're serious business here. Oh no! When they did the the 35th year anniversary, all that stuff, I got all that stuff. Uh, I don't have. I just saw that they came out with a new DVD cover for the new movie and the old movies, ooh. and it's like exclusive in Walmart. So I do want to get that. So, uh, of our 40,000 downloads across now 20 different countries, and we are approaching 60, pl- no, all right, my numbers are all jumbled up, I'm old and tired, we got a whole lot of people listening. If you're listening, I may start a GoFundMe so everyone can buy, grown ass me, all these toys I never had, I may put the link up, I got between now and October to decide. Basically, what I'm saying is, Will my faithful listeners across seven seasons buy me all the toys I never had? Balls in your court, folks. How much do you care about me? I'll leave that up to you. But I, right. but I digress. So, in in the name of all the people that have to convince that the ghosts actually exist, are these pre? Uh, this is the precursor to flat earthers. It's like they're definitely ghosts. Like I don't know if I buy it. They're jogging through Central Park. They're seem. They are evil. The slime is coming through the grates. What else do we need to see? 
You these were the original flat earthers in 1989. Uh, what even happened? At this, and even at the beginning of the movie, like the little kids, they're just, they're now out of business and they're doing birthday parties, and it's like my dad said you're full of crap. Did your dad not see a marshmallow man walking through New York City and stepping on a church? Where was he at? Like, by, what, is that just made up and fake? Like, by the way, how much of a dick was that kid? He was such a jerk. Right. Like, and he like he had like that scowl and was like, my dad says you're full of crap. Like, look, man, <laughs> like have some cake, eat a hot dog, like relax. Like, even if he is, I'm here, you're here. Can you try to make the best of it? Or are you here to insult adults? Says you guys are full of crap. Well, some people have trouble believing in the paranormal. No, he just says you guys are full of crap, and that's why you went out of business. At, at, at that age, if somebody would have drove the Ecto one to my house and walked into my house with a proton pack, that would have been the best thing ever. Yeah, oh, uh, like, and he got the actual Ghostbusters, not some, not some clown they found on on like Reddit to portray the Ghostbusters. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I would have lost my mind. I would have like on the way out while I was handling my gear, he would have caught an elbow in the mouth, like, oh my bad, kid. Maybe it'll teach you some fucking manners. <laughs> but <laughs> But that yeah, I would've worked I would have worked stiff on that kid. There would have been a potato on the way out. Trust me. <laughs> Trust me. So as as we trudge forward, I would like to posit something. The pink slime. There's an evil pink slime that consumes all the hate in New York and is like, what it's it's like ghost fuel, like ghost, uh, y- yes, go, ghost sperm. I don't know. We're, we're not going to get gross here. But it's coming through the grates. It's it's turning everything it touches into like an evil, violent being. It's making people who carry, who care about each other turn on one another. I have reason to believe the pink slime flowing underneath the city of New York is actually watermelon for loco. That can currently be found flowing underground somewhere in South Florida, and that would explain the current situation of the world. Pink slime is alive and well, ladies and gentlemen. Think about how much hates in the world and how much crazies in Florida. Rivers of it, rivers of it in South Florida as we speak. Uh, tread lightly, boys and girls. Brian, what are your when I think when I hit you with Ghostbusters two in the soundtrack? What jumps off the page to you? Oh, I mean. I mean, it's the Statue of Liberty. Going, oh. that's the. Yeah. Get, all right, that's, gu- that's the one. Gun to your head. If you have yeah, to pick one, of, you have to think about Ghostbusters. Gun to your head. One or the other. Are we going Bobby Brown or Jackie Wilson? Ooh. You got to pick that's one. Probably, that's probably. I don't know. Probably Jackie Wilson still. See. Even the mere mention of the songs has the hair standing up on my arm. When that that Bobby Brown song, cause I can't quit something, I do take control. I remember as a kid thinking like, oh, you fucked up now, Vigo. They played played nice before, but the police escort with Bobby Brown, it's on. No, that is good. And Bobby makes the cameo as the doorman. Right, and nobody knows. I'm like, he's just some punk kid, and and, yeah, and if 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 he was in fact on that stuff then, while there were ghosts running through the streets, it would probably be the most sane Bobby or Whitney had sounded in years at that time. (laughs) (laughs) Like I'm seeing ghosts. I don't know. Is pink slime coming from coming from uh, coming from underground? Like, are they on that stuff? Like, I think I think they've been drinking that four loco that's been coming through the grates. I don't know. (laughs) 
I got a, I got one for you. Most underrated character in Ghostbusters 2. Because I'm very passionate about this one. So, Yano's probably my most man. underrated. My man with the hot tag. Right <laughs> yeah. Uh, fun fact, you know that he wasn't supposed to do the accent in that movie? It was a choice. So, there, the, the curator of the museum who is possessed by the evil painting is an, a quirky Eastern European character who's, a, who's essentially being an 80s PG-13 Borat by way of his actions and his like impersonation, and it's and it's one hundred percent a choice. He was not supposed to do that accent. He just hit the ground running and crushed it every scene. So they just let him go with it. Because that's why when they ask him like towards like the fourth or fifth act, like John, where are you from? And he goes the upper west side. So why are you came? Well, we got a report there was a major creep in the area. We checked our list and you were right on the top. Johnny, where in the hell are you from anyway? The Upper West Side. Like they didn't have like an or- <laughs> They didn't have an origin country for him. They had like nothing. He was just supposed to be a quirky museum court uh, curator so they they made him East- so he made himself Eastern European and was absolutely hilarious. Oh, the scene where he's asking Vigo if he can be the the wife. It just it was spinning around in circles and everything. His emails the whole thing. The the amount the the quickness he bought into that painting was alarming. It took like no convincing. One bolt of lightning hit that painting. It was like, yes, Lord, yes, I am here. Direct me, Vigo. It's like you haven't even been brainwashed yet, man. Like you're already on board. <laughs> Like right. you're, you're already lighting a satanic candle circle after like one strike of light. Like he didn't even explain. He didn't even explain who he is, what he was trying to do, and you were ready to do his demonic bidding instantly. Like no convincing. Right. He's like, yeah. Um, where's, where's the origin of this painting? I've never like I never told the backstory. Like where I know it's in storage, but how long has it been in storage in some random room in New York? Yeah, someone had to have handled this painting before it got to him. So that person must also be possessed. Like, did the painting just appear out of thin air? Like, when the painting was delivered, were the how do I uh, were the delivery guys? How do I, how do I say this? Possessed demons. If they have been handling this painting for hours on end, like they have to be sent by Satan himself and possessed. That's where you got to disconnect and use your wrestling right there and just say, "Sure, it just popped in there." Hey, cafe, cafe, just go with it. Just go with it. It's like, yeah, I mean, f- fair enough. Uh, I like how when bartering to do his supernatural Satan bidding, he was like, um, that, uh, that is a woman, huh, Dana, very, very lovely. It's like, you can take her as your bride. <laughs> it's like, I, so are you going to brainwash her too, or is she just supposed to go along with it because the painting said it? When a, paint, when a painting starts talking to me, you probably just listen at that point. It probably gets pretty freaky. It's true. When the painting is giving objectives, you should probably listen. More more than sure. And like his pitch to Dana, like so once he rounds up her child and her to make her his supernatural being as he is a as he does the bidding of his painting demigod, he's like, There are many perks to working for Vigo. Uh you have a very nice apartment, uh car. So what influence does Vigo have over uh, over like New York inner city real estate? Like how is he getting you an apartment? A nice apartment, too. <laughs> yes. And not even a house. That's what he's shooting for. An apartment. 
Right. The like, ruler of the world is getting you a, a nice corner apartment in New York. If, yes. If I am working for the enslaver of the apocalypse, I'm not sharing walls with anybody. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's, just, that's just, I will be in no position to hear your stereo. Your dog barking will not be a thing in my life. <laughs> If I'm the number one in charge of the man enslaving us all during the apocalypse and I have to complain about you cutting your grass, I did not negotiate this contract very well. Correct. Are you kidding me? I will get you a very nice apartment and a car. Not even a nice car. A car. A car. Oh, my God. One for the two of us, mind you. Not even our own car. One car. It's New York. They'll be taking a bunch of cabs there anyway. Yeah, like that. Yeah, that's the big selling point. Like we don't have to take cabs. Like you know what would be like if you're living in inner city New York or the Manhattan area, just to like Vigo, I will talk to him. We will have free parking. That's probably ten times a better deal than the car. (laughs) Yeah. What? Yeah. uh, What are we kidding here? But yeah, shout out to Janos, absolute gem of a man. At the end of the movie, once they have subdued the painting, spoilers, guys. They defeat the painting at the end. I know this sounds crazy. Now, mind you, Rick Moranis does rush in dressed as a fifth Ghostbuster and may or may not have gotten an old-fashioned for the road from Janine to get him extra fired up. (laughs) (laughs) But while inside, and the Ghostbusters were handling business directly with Vigo, uh, they infiltrate the building via the Statue of Liberty who's walking. Yes, you heard me. If you haven't seen the movie... I would imagine if people are just hearing this out of context, it must sound absolutely insane. So they weaponize the pink slime. They spray it all over the Statue of Liberty as a sign of unity to reduce the hate. And they ride the Statue of Liberty into the city that then bust into the possessed museum to fight the painting. And during all this, in a last-ditch effort, Janos, shout out Janos, PG-13 Borat, the museum curator, <laughs> he is the last line of defense for them getting to the painting. So to subdue him, they, they spray him in the hate slime, where he's then consumed by love because people are united behind the Statue of Liberty saving the day. And when he wakes up and is in love mode with Dan Aykroyd, it is so much, I love you. You, yes. you are our son. I'm gonna have to edit so much of this movie in this, damn, <laughs> this fucking podcast. It'll make more sense once you guys hear the edits. I swear it will. Why are my drippings with poo? You had a violent, prolonged, transformative psychic episode. <laughs> Sorry, we had to hose you there, but you were kind of out of control. Hey, man. Let me tell you something. I love you. Yes? Yeah. Well, I love you too. <laughs> so, that then posits the question, were there criminal charges brought on? Because you definitely, you definitely took the city hostage. And there were casualties. Once we find out you've been working for this painting, you're not off the hook, man. There's, right. Yeah, there's an avalanche of liability at play. An avalanche of liability. So and how did the how did the 
Statue of Liberty get back after you were done saving the city? You just did you drive it back over there? Oh, that is the, that is a multi million dollar question that I've never thought about, and I'm sure it got back. <laughs> what that must have cost the city? <laughs> what that must have cost the city to move the Statue of Liberty was astronomical. Like, think about a scenario where the Statue of Liberty is in, like, Tribeca. How on earth did you get that back? Did you just, you built a new one. I mean, let's just call it, you just built a new one. And that had to be cheap. Right. And and now does the mayor's assistant believe in ghosts at this point that he saw the Statue of Liberty walking down the street? So when so when the Ghostbusters go to the mayor, who they've already saved the city for a previous time, and it's documented and acknowledged by the mayor. <laughs> they go, hey, Mr. Mayor, we have reason to believe that another supernatural event's going to happen, and we would like to proactively do all we can to help save the world again for you. The mayor's assistant steps in and is like, all right, we got we to gotta put an end to this bullshit. We're going to get him thrown <laughs> in. The only guy that's capable of stopping ghosts in the city, we're going to get them thrown in an insane asylum. How was that? How, did, how was that A to B? Like, how? And that's one of the that's one of the underrated best parts of the movie where they're actually at the table w- with the guy in the insane asylum and they're explaining their theory of what's going on with the world about <laughs> slime being under the city. They've made a toaster dance, and the guy's probably at this point like, "What are you guys? You guys are psychopaths! Like, what are you talking about?" And then they they ask each individual Ghostbuster. Uh, what exactly is going on? They explain a Moldavian painting about an overlord who murdered everyone who's been repossessed through a painting, a hate-fueled slime that's consuming everything and bringing things back to life, how it's pertinent that they they trap him in their, their ectoplasmic prison through this sophisticated technology they don't understand. And when they get to Bill Murray, the fourth Ghostbuster, and what he, and for his explanation, his he says, and I quote after lifting his head up off the table, I don't know what you're looking at me for. I think they're all nuts. <coughs> Because why? Because he's crushing it. Also, when Dana rushes to his apartment after the initial attempt on baby Oscar, it's very swept under the rug that when she knocks on the door, Bill Murray is lying face down on his own couch, fully dressed with his coat on and just wakes up from like a dead sleep. Like, who is it? Like, no one ever explains why he's sleeping on the couch, fully dressed (laughs) in like a winter coat. He's, he's had a jacket on through both movies, like, all the time. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it, and frankly, he's crushing it the entire time. The entire time. So our time is winding down here. Brian, tell the world of On Demand Audio, my faithful listeners, uh, how they can see all the awesome stuff you're doing. We're going to drop some event-specific things, hit them with the website. Hit them with the socials. Do some shameless self-promotion. Brian, get yourself over. Uh, so at WrestleCade or at AMO Wrestling, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, all that. Um, I would like to say we used to be the biggest uh, convention on the East Coast for wrestling, but Conrad is currently, uh, he's putting up a, a fight with the uh, Rick Flair's deal. But we're still very huge convention. We raise a lot of money for charity. Uh, then we've got AML Wrestling, which is our monthly promotion. Uh, you come to a lot of those shows. You know, we put a lot of heart and effort into Absolutely. trying to get independent wrestlers over and tell good stories and 
make people feel a certain way with wrestling again. Anyone that follows our socials, you do see you do see me posting about these events. I want to support this show. is built around people do, uh, grabbing that brass ring, going after it, doing, uh, going and chasing their dreams, not just paying bills and waiting to die. I was fortunate enough to get linked up with these great guys. I will support them each and every opportunity I get. They're top-notch individuals. You guys know that one of the cruxes of this show is that I'm ultimately right about all things food, pop culture, and nostalgia. This man encompasses all three, plus professional wrestling. So why would you question my my unquestionable wisdom now? Seven seasons deep. It's too late to turn back now, folks. Just go with it. Trust me right. on this thing. So if we're going to close on any parting notes, Ghostbusters 2, if not the best sequel of all time, one of the best sequels of all time. If you haven't seen it, Watch it again. It's truly fucking amazing. Brian, are there any closing uh, notes you'd like to make about Ghostbusters 2? Knowing we were doing this, I've watched it twice now, working out, doing cardio. It's the last week, so <laughs> nice. it's trying to catch up. But it's like, still the thing you catch, like, you know, little bits and pieces of different things. But just, I mean, it's a good good disconnect from reality movie where just a, a list of, like, phenomenal actors got together and did this movie and, you know, just phenomenal. The opening scene, or one of the opening scenes where Bill Murray is a host in a psychic television show, the character, Dr. Peter Bankman, the female voice, you may know from Family Guy, she's in fact, uh, she is Joe's wife's voice in Family Guy from the first season. She is in the opening scene of Ghostbusters 2, ladies and gentlemen. The woman who, who voices Joe, Peter Griffin's neighbor's wife, is in the opening scene of Ghostbusters 2. Another guest may disagree with you. Elaine, now you had another date in mind. According to my source, the end of the world will be on February 14th in the year 2016. Valentine's Day. Bummer. Never. It's a random fact there. Yeah. As soon as I heard her voice, I was like, I know that voice. And it's like the early seasons of Family Guy, too. She does the voice. Uh, let's see. Rip Torn, I believe, is the, is that the, the judge? Bobby, we've mentioned yeah. Bobby. Yeah, Bobby Brown is definitely in it. Uh, the mayor's assistant has been in a ton of stuff. The mayor's been. The mayor was in Sopranos. He was the assemblyman for Tony in season four. So, so question before we leave, though, we've got a couple of seconds here. Another movie's coming out next year. It's back based in New York. Sigourney Weaver makes a cameo at the end of the movie. So, does little Oscar come back since he was possessed in nineteen eighty nine and? Is Vigo making his return in 2023? Do if, we think that's what it is? If in 1989, Oscar's one or two years old, that only makes him like five years younger than us, maybe four years younger than us. Kid, this city cur- incurred an astronomical amount of debt relocating the Statue of Liberty, cleaning out the entire underground reservoir of Four Loco in both New York and Florida. Not... <laughs> Yeah, not to mention peeling all the crust off of that museum. And that was an actual painting that we had to restore. It was an artifact we put millions of dollars and man hours into. Oscar, the least you can do is fucking suit up and do your part here. My God. Lewis Tully suited up. Oscar, you can suit up. It's on you, kid. It's your birthright. And oh, no, man. I think he's going he's to turn heel. He's going to be the guy that brings the painting back. That would be great. That would actually be, wow, that would actually be really good. Ladies and gentlemen, Brian is stooging off the finish for the new Ghostbusters. I wish. That's right, of course. If I'm sitting in that theater that really does happen, I'm going to be kind of mad because I would have never thought of that. 
I would be like a little bit. I'll be a little bit upset. Like, damn, I would have been really shocked right now. <laughs> yeah, Brian, thank you so much for joining me, ladies and gentlemen. This is the first time you you have heard from this man. It will not be the last. Seven seasons deep. I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. You might as well get with the program. Top guy doing top guy stuff. Ben will be back. Hopefully never, but contractually soon. See you later.